Welcome to Radio Catskills Special Community Forum on Voting. This is being done in partnership with the Sullivan County chapter of the NAACP. So why vote in the upcoming elections? The November elections in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania will determine various local seats that have significant impacts on your community. Those positions play a crucial role in deciding matters such as school policies, property taxes, service expansion, development plans, and local policies affecting your town or village. Local elections often witness low turnouts. According to a study conducted by the Portland State University, less than 15% of the eligible voters are participating in town board membership or other local elections. This low turnout leads to crucial local matters being decided by only a small group of voters, significantly increasing the statistical significance of each individual vote. So we want to hear from you tonight. Why do you believe your vote matters? If you think otherwise, why not? We have a distinguished panel joining us tonight to discuss this topic. Here on the panel is from the Sullivan County NAACP representatives Sean Walcardi and Thomas Rue, both are members of the executive committee of the Sullivan County NAACP. Thomas chairs the chapter's health committee and has worked as a mental health and addiction counselor under the private practice name of Choices Mental Health Counseling PLLC for the last 13 years. Elizabeth Forrest from the League of Women Voters in Pike County. For more than 30 years, Elizabeth has provided technology, consultation, project management, documentation, and compliance services for businesses nationally and internationally. From 2015 until 2021, served as president of Pike County League of Women Voters and spearheaded the founding of their first new local league in 25 years in Pennsylvania and served as a moderator and MC at multiple events. Erica Smitka from the League of Women Voters of New York. Erica is the deputy director for the League of Women Voters in New York and earned her master's degree in public administration with a focus on nonprofit management from Syracuse's University's Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs. Prior to attending graduate school, Erica worked as an organizer, campaign director for Grassroots Campaigns, Inc., where she fundraised for nonprofits and worked on a variety of political campaigns in California, Colorado, and Massachusetts. Anthony Newpulse, Associate Professor of Political Science, Steve Pamanella. Steve is Associate Professor of Political Science and International Relations at the State University of New York at Newpulse. His research focuses on international hierarchies, U.S. foreign policy, and progressive internationalism. He also serves as the Vice President, Board of Directors of the Citizens Action of New York and is a member of the United University Professions. So let's engage in an insightful discussion about the importance of voting in local elections. Erica, let's start with you. How do you believe your vote can influence local school policies and education funding and the financial decisions that impact a community? So I'll speak a little bit to um, to kind of why voting and voting locally is so important. Um, and just as you said, your vote really holds so much more weight in local elections. You might be voting on something like the your local school's budget. Um, you might be participating in school board elections or another ballot initiative that might have an impact on education funding or, or financing in your area. 
Um, but ultimately, local government and local elections has the or have the biggest impact on your daily life. Um, outside of kind of school funding, you're looking at things like installing stoplights, um, housing or, or zoning approvals. Um, you know, we see a lot of turnout in those national races. They're very publicized. Uh, there's a lot of talk about them. But your daily life is really more affected by who your mayor is or your town council member. Um, and as you said, you know, local races are sometimes decided uh, by only a handful of votes. Uh, I know in New York State last year, we had, there were a couple of counties that had, you know, were just a few votes off um, by which races were won. So really, when you head to the polls on some of these local issues, you can you can really have a, a huge impact. Definitely, definitely. Elizabeth from the League of Women Voters in Pike County, can you provide an example of a local policy that was directly influenced by voter participation? Well, not necessarily since 2015, but in the 30 years that I've lived here, um, I think the primary one that I can point to was a bond issue in 2005, which established the Scenic Rural Character Preservation uh, Commission. It's a it's a mouthful, but it was it was done to judge a 10 million dollar uh, bond issue. And it was approved by two to one by the voters and has been funded for the last 17 years. Now, what this does is exactly what the name says. It guarantees or at least tries tries to guarantee that uh, land is used in the best way. It has established protocols for uh, zoning and um, other usages of, of the land. And I don't think that it would have been done without that vote. I, I would also have to say over here that other things have occurred that were not necessarily at the ballot box, but pretty much as an announcement by the voters of how they would vote if something did go to the ballot. Uh, now, what comes to mind was an issue in 2015 when my local township here was considering adopting an earned income tax because everything at the local level is done through property taxes, which, by the way, is possibly the most important reason for going to the polls in local elections to vote because this is where you get hammered with that, not necessarily at the state level. Now, just the fact that the township was breathing instituting this earned income tax down here. Well, they had a hearing on it and it packed the township uh, municipal hall. Absolutely. And it was 90 per 95 percent there against it. That was a pretty wide screen by the voters to say, you know, go ahead and do this and see what happens in the next election. So those are two things that I would have to say um, have established policy. And also, I don't know of anybody that has come near to talking about adopting the EIT, uh, or for that matter, doing um, uh, anything that is against uh, uh, the, the Scenic Rural Preservation commission's wishes. The League of Women Voters for Pike County, for New York, has a lot of workshops and information forms planned for this election season. Liz, can you talk about how can a well-informed voting contribute to a more 
and effective and efficient public services. Well, it's completely essential. And I think that's one of the reasons why Pike County is, is handicapped in this regard, because we have so many people that have moved here. Uh, for those that don't know the background of some of, of what has happened along the Delaware River with the establishment of the national park system down here, uh, it was the Tox Island Project. A lot of people that had lived here and their families had lived here for centuries were moved out. So in its place, we got a lot of people moving into planned communities. And I would have to say most of them came from New York and New Jersey that functioned quite differently to anything that they had ever seen over here in Pike County. So a lot of times, they the, the reason they're not interested is that no one has reached out to them. Um, they don't know, for example, that there are probably two meetings per month that where they can go to a, to the township and hear what they're doing or to the borough. Uh, there's a weekly meeting of the Pike County Commissioners. And I will sit down with people and ask them what their biggest issues are here. And they can't speak to it because, honestly, they don't know. They, we have a problem educating voters here, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense of the word, but getting the word out here, because we only, in Pike County, we only have a couple of weekly papers. If you miss getting an edition of the Pike County Dispatch, and there's an important story in there, well, that's that. Uh, we have Blue Ridge Cable Television down here, but we have whole swaths of the county that don't even get that cable service, and they're the only ones with a local television news show that cover a lot of these things. So it it is challenging. Um, sometimes I will call make calls to get the vote out, and they will say, oh, are we having an election today? And I can't even begin to tell you that drives me straight up the wall because it begs the question of, well, what did you think all of those campaign signs out along the side of the road were about? And you have to you have to sometimes chew your tongue because they did. I think a lot of the voters here want to be spoon fed the information. But even if I were to say, you know, that proverbial thing of do your research, it's hard. It's very hard. No. You know, to call someone up and, you know, not, and for them, you know, to, to not see all the campaign signs outside and not know it's election day. Professor Pampanila from SUNY New Pulse, do you discuss local politics and local government in your class? Uh, sure. It's, it's funny, you know, I teach in New Pulse and New Pulse has a pretty interesting reputation for local politics. Um, that's an understated way, I guess, of putting it. Um, and I bring that up to them because I want them to understand that there is the possibility of uh, of having an important political impact at that level. Um, you know, you may recall, I think it was 2004 when the mayor at the time of the village of New Falls, Jason West, he had um, performed the first same-sex marriage in the United States and then subsequently experienced lots of different lawsuits and et cetera. Um, but for the people who voted for Mr. West, um, you know, they helped put someone in office who very much changed the way we understand um, something very personal in this country in a way that promoted greater equality and greater freedom for people of the LGBTQ community. Um, that, none of that would have happened if not for the 300 people who would have voted in a mayoral election 
uh, in, in the small little village of New Falls. And so, yeah, I tell my I tell my students about that so they understand why this does matter. And even things that they may, you know, assume are boring, like local land use policy, right? Um, actually, they're very important. And on top of that, even the other bigger issues that that we all face, um, you know, we can address them at the local level in ways that can have an impact down the road uh, years later. So it is absolutely something that that we talk about. Um, and that mayor race just seems like just a perfect example of how a local small election can really have a really big impact in the future. Uh, Professor, if you could talk about how does a vote contribute to addressing crucial social and environmental issues in an area? Sure. So I think what it can do is establish the values uh, and priorities of your own community, um, where you live and where you have the most the most impact, the most ability to shape policy. Policymakers up in Albany or even Washington, D.C., certainly, you know, they have their own agenda and they have their own particular items of interest that they want to push through legislature, through policy. Uh, but as things bubble up, let's say, at the local level, that's going to be something that they can't really ignore. Um, and, and in that way, then, as we in our different localities and our places where we live, uh, as we try to shape the laws and, and other regulations that govern things that we do here, we're shaping the values that we use to govern ourselves, and those will have an impact, um, I think, on higher levels at the state and federal level, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Professor, another question I have for you is, how can a diverse voter participation lead to a more inclusive and representative local government? Sure. So, you know, voting is something that's always been a struggle in this country, quite literally. Black, Indigenous, Latino, and Asian voters, Asian Americans in our country haven't ever really, it's been a right that they've had to struggle to realize and, and often struggle uh, in the face of incredible violence. Um, it's so important then to have that diverse voting base so that we have people who are elected, especially at the local level, who can represent the diversity of interests and values and identities that many people who live in our various states, whether we're talking about New York or Pennsylvania, uh, adhere to. If we don't have that inclusive voting base and a diverse voting base, policies are going to be made at the local level that leave people out. Um, that may not be an accurate reflection, in fact, of what the entire community wants. That may save one group of people over over another group of people who otherwise get left out. And so problems of exclusion then are inevitable, if, particularly in policymaking and yes, even at the local level, if the voter base, particularly at the local level, stays pretty insular uh, and comes, let's say, from only one part of, of one's community and is not inclusive of everyone. Just to, uh, just to add to, to what you're saying, Stephen, um, another great thing about it is voting is often the first step that someone might take to to get actively and, and civically involved, right? And it might just be going out to vote that might, you know, intrigue them to, you know, dig into local politics and eventually maybe run run for office so that we are seeing people, you know, the people in our community be reflected in the people that represent us. Absolutely. You know, you more encouraged if you see someone else already has done it, someone that looks like you on a town board or in some kind of other elected position. We have a question from the audience uh, from Jeff Allison. How do you win an election? Is it through a dialogue with intent of changing hearts and mind, or is it just to get out there to get the vote? Or is it both? Now, all of us can do the dialogue part with civility and really listen to the opposing side. Sean Wilcardi from the NAACP, you wanted to take this question? You know, yeah. And this this may sound um, 
glib, but it's absolutely not. If you run for office and you have a great platform, whether you win the election or lose the election, you still win because you're bringing forward dialogue. You're bringing forward exchange. And let's say you may not be that great at, you know, having that civility dialogue going back and forth, but you're, you're running for a reason. And it's something that you're passionate about and that you're following that passion. So when you see that, other people can can lean onto it. So if you look at, okay, I'm going to run for this office and I win this office, now you have to do the work of what you said you were going to do. And, and you hope that you can get enough people who are in the same role on your side to get things done and they move things forward. Uh, let's say you run for office, you don't win. But you got your voice out there. People heard you. People listened to you. And so that those are very powerful tools. And and so oftentimes we try to think of if we lose an election, then that's it. You know, life is over. And that's absolutely not the case. Uh, if you go for office, you lose an election, you could actually, that, that could have you be, be a more powerful voice in terms of change, in terms of uh, keeping things on the standard understanding, asking questions and being that representative from the community. So, and, but how do you win specifically? I really think it's about having an important message that reaches uh, a multitude of people. It's not just, um, pigeonhole your messages, you know, in terms of local politics, it's really talking about the everyday things. Um, the, we all want a sense of community. We all want to be safe in our communities. We all don't want to have to pay a tremendous amount of money to get there. So, and we, we expect services when, when things are going wrong, or if we don't get those services, then we expect to know why we didn't get those services and have an explanation. So being able to answer to those things, um, and, and that's just everyday things. And if you can say, Hey, this is how I'm going to try to do a better job. And you talk to enough people, it's not just you by yourself. It's you. It's your family. When you're running for office, your family's running for office. Um, I can tell you that. It's your friends running for office, right? Because they have to push the thing too. It's not just you. It's a collective. And so understand if you're talking about that winning the election, uh, it is a collective event. It is a family event. It is all hands on deck. Um, and it's everyone giving out that same message of this is how we do things a little bit better. And, and to try not to do it in a way where it's disparaging or negative towards someone else. Um, I, I found just, again, with me in my own personal election, um, going negative was just something I didn't want to do and I didn't, uh, and I won. So uh, those are just some quick things I could think of. And also just to mention that Sean Walcarty is the deputy supervisor for the town of Forsberg. One of the things when we talk about local elections, particularly when you ask, I think the original question is, how do you win? Sean knows that he was running against people that, you know, your your kids play in the same little league team. You go to church with those people. You work with those people. You go to the grocery store and see them. And when it's a local election, you have the same issues. You want to be able to drive down the road without breaking an axle in a pothole. You want to be able to do the things that a community does. And when you can keep the election at that level, I think you have more of a possibility of being successful, whether you get the most votes or not. 
um, there was an election very near and dear to my heart that I was running in that I had quite a different um, agenda than my opponent did. Um, it was a close race. I lost very closely. But when she ran again later on uh, for re-election, half of my platform was her platform. In short, Sean's right. We were heard. The voters were heard that actually cast the vote and decided, you know, yay or nay. So I think those are things at the local level that need to be remembered. When the national divisions and nastiness start to enter the local races, that's one of the most dangerous things that you can have because I do think that it turns off voters. I'll say, you know, well, you know, did you hear such and such on the news? Now I'm talking about, a, a, you know, a local newscast like, Scranton or, or one of those channels, and they'll say, oh, I don't watch the news anymore because they don't like being upset. It's like, well, you know, hey, you can tune out the national stuff fairly easy, but really should find out what's happening right on your street. Right. Like, like we said before, it affects us so personally, you know, like I said, it affects school taxes, affects what's happening in your front door sometimes. Uh, Sean, I want to go back to you real quick. You know, you were a guest on Radio Chatskill recently and to, to promote this event that we were in now. And the question that was presented to you was your personal motivations for voting. And I really enjoyed what you said. I want to see if you could have uh, sort of explained what you said to uh, Radio Chatskill this morning. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it, it wasn't it um, was as eloquent as um, the professor's and uh, Erica's uh, response. My response was my mother. And when I was growing up in Brooklyn, the example that I saw was my mom. She would wait on the long lines, okay? And and we lived in a poor area in Brooklyn. We lived in uh, uh, Bedside, Brooklyn. And, you know, she would stand on lines for hours to go vote, and I never understood it. It would drive me nuts, right? She would take my brother and I to go do this. And it, it drove me nuts to do it. And I didn't understand it until much later on when she got someone helped get someone elected and she was and she was able to you know have that voice and that's when i started to understand it that's when i started to get it um so that's where i'm like you know what you you can make a difference and if you're going at it about it the right way you know and so liz's point earlier it, in local politics and local elections if you get nasty no one wins i don't care how you slice it because you absolutely at the end of the day your kids are playing together. Your kids are on the same team. Like it is a disaster if you go to that national nasty politics level. Um, but keeping it civil and keeping it to the points, and this is about you know quality of life and understanding how we have a better quality of life and not spend a lot of money. People understand those things. Um, Jeff had asked a question in the chat. I don't know if I can pick up on that, but. He asked, how do you address the issue? If you didn't graduate from the high school here, you're not a local. Jeff, I am not a local, okay, in Fallsburg. I am the deputy supervisor for Fallsburg. I'm the police commissioner, youth commissioner. I'm not a local. I didn't graduate from Fallsburg High School. I sit as vice president of the school board and a deputy supervisor for Fallsburg. I did not graduate from Fallsburg. Um, I, I graduated from Aviation High School in Long Island City, New York. So... It's not necessarily that you're not local and you don't belong. It's 
what are the things that you can do to help move us forward? What are the things that you can do that? What are your ideas to help spark a conversation? Or maybe you don't have the best idea, but you know someone you can tap on or touch to or, or reach out to and say, hey, give us your idea. Let's hear you because you may not be the smartest person in the room. I know I oftentimes I'm in the room I'm like, yeah, I'm not the smartest person. Look, let's put it out. And it's okay. But I think if you if you come at it from that standpoint, there there are some areas where it's like, hey, this person's not local. I'm not gonna lie. There are some areas like that. I I, I guess I'm an, an anomaly. For year one of, of being in office, a lot of folks called me the anomaly. So I absolutely understand. So we have a question here from Anna Hart for Stephen, Erica, and Liz. What is your advice on reaching out to those who aren't engaged enough to even register to vote? Stephen? That's a great question. I think it's first just worthwhile acknowledging that people have a, a degree of cynicism and apathy, right? And that's not their fault. You shouldn't blame people for that sense of apathy or cynicism. Um, there's a lot of reasons why people can look at politics and be cynical, whether we're talking about what's happening in Washington or what's happening in Albany. Um, I think we all remember the sagas of Andrew Cuomo when he was still governor. I think that turned a lot of people off, at least forget about Washington and Trump and, and, and all of that. But um, people get turned off by all that stuff, especially when they see it as, as something that's going to filter down to, um, to something local. Now, you just have to engage people knowing that that cynicism and apathy is there and to remind people that, okay, all that stuff may be happening elsewhere, but do we really want to be that kind of, you know, do we, wanna, do we really want to throw our hands up and give up on local politics and local issues that are really about People have said it before, you know, on what street corner is a stoplight going to go on? Who's going to fill the potholes? Uh, who's going to make sure that our water supply is operating functionally and it also is healthy? Um, you know, those are the questions that that really do motivate people, even if they're apathetic. I think if we reach people on that level, on just the very basic service delivery kind of things, um, I think you're, it's possible to overcome that apathy and encourage people to vote at the local level. And, you know, maybe just keep it there, keep the conversation there. Hey, let's just vote in our local election that's coming up and not even worry about all the bigger stuff that happens, you know, in the terms in the presidential years. Um, uh, you know, that may be a way to do it. Mm. Uh, Liz? I think I first started uh, approaching people uh, to register to vote here in Pike County. And remember, a goodly portion of people here in Pike County came from somewhere else. So there were a lot of people to register. But I would go to young women, and this really shocked me because this was, you know, 21st century stuff. And I'd ask a young woman who had a couple of kids in tow, maybe that wasn't the right moment, but I would say to her, are you registered to vote? And more than once, the answer came back, my husband takes care of that. Now, ladies here, I want that to sink in because I, that was something that I, I never really considered that, yeah, maybe some of this is the cultural thing. Uh, I, I'm both pre, you know, Roe v. Wade and post Roe v. Wade. So I can remember a time when I couldn't get credit cards. I couldn't buy a car without say so from my father or husband. And that was, you know, one of those things that I think sometimes there's something that you have to figure out how to reach across and encourage them to vote. I've seen here in Pike County, 
just so that you know, because you don't have this problem in New York. I lived in New York City, so it was a shock out here too. You can campaign within 10 feet of the front door of the polling place. So, you know, there's there's the, the, the craziness of trying to get through crowds of people that want to stick a brochure in your face and tell you how to vote. I've seen women pull into a parking lot and seen that melee out in front of a polling place and just keep driving. Uh, I would call people and say, well, I'm going to come and vote with my husband. And I would just take that. Oh, well, that's something that they do together. After a while, I had to really consider, is it really that or is it something else culturally that I'm just not in touch with? So sometimes, and I think it's hard along those lines to get people to say, you know, I definitely want to register to vote uh, because their view of the election and voting and what their rights are are not the same as mine. Erica? Yeah, just to kind of um, back both on what Steve and Liz said. Um, I mean, yeah, this to your point, this is, uh, you know, the whole reason that the league was founded, right? It was after women won the right to vote, we, it created the league to still um, be able to talk to each other about, you know, okay, what's important? Hold on to that power by being able to rely on each other to to talk about local politics and figure out, okay, what, you know, um, what's important to participate in and, and vote on so that um, women continue to to build that power. Um, but Steve, to your point earlier, I think you used a really great example of the, um, the mayor in 2004. I mean, like activating someone, I think it's really all about kind of reaching out to that person with a message that's going to activate them to see to see how their vote can have power because there is a lot of apathy, right? But it's just what was that line to to draw that connection together for someone? Um, and then the last thing I just want to note is that at least in New York State, um, our voter registration rate isn't too bad, um, but we have the biggest trouble actually turning people out to the polls, um, and that's really where I think. But at least New York State struggles is not to register voters, but then, OK, how are you going to motivate people to not just care about voting, but care about voting in this election, care about voting in this upcoming local election um, is the the biggest hurdle. Oh. Right, right. Uh, Erica, let's stay with you. Uh, could you highlight any of the workshops or information forms that are planned for this election season and, and how do these forms and and workshops contribute to informing the public? Sure, yeah. So we um, are always have different uh, educational opportunities out there. We're actually working on a, a webinar that we'll host for our, we have 43 local leagues across the state. Um, and that webinar topic is going to be on the changing, uh, the constantly changing election laws in New York State. Um, this past legislative session, we saw a number of uh, of bills passed, some that were still waiting to be signed. Um, and in the past few years, we had changes to early voting, um, just re- reduced the voter registration deadline to 10 days before the election. But all things that would really affect um, or may affect how someone decides to show up at the polls. Um, so this fall, we're going to be talking with our local leagues about you know, what do the changes in those laws look like? Um, and then how can they get that message out to the voters in their community? Um, and they really are, are kind of like boots on the ground when it comes to that. They are, you know, talking to people at farmers markets, talking to people um, at different community events, whether it's registering voters, um, passing out um, voter guides that we get out to folks. It just gives you kind of 
all the info you might need to know, um, or directing folks to vote411.org, which is where you can it's kind of like your one-stop shop for all of your election needs. But um, our local leagues do a fantastic job at then kind of turning that message around and, and getting it out to voters. And um, the other thing I'm, I want to highlight is um, uh, we've also worked a lot on some kind of election uh, election security uh, information, just really talking to people and um, created a lot of kind of like one pagers and pamphlets to talk to people about, OK, here's how our elections work in New York State. Here's why, you know, they're safe, they're secure. Uh, it's, you know, a tried and true process. Um, and this is exactly what happens to your ballot once you show up at the polls. So um, all those things can be can be found on our website. Um, but yeah, we're always, always trying to reach voters however we can. So yeah, absolutely. You know, keeping them informed, keeping them informed of their rights, especially for those who might not ever been voting before, first time voting. It could be very daunting if um, if you don't know exactly what exactly to do. Uh, Stephen, I want to go back to you, Professor Papanila. Um, you know, can you tell more about your work with the Citizen Action of New York? You're the Vice President of the Board of Directors. Sure. Um, and just just to be clear, I'm the vice president of the board of directors. So I think, yeah, just I just want to say that just to just to indicate that I have no managerial role uh, whatsoever. Um, so I just want to be clear about that. And I should also say in my remarks here, I speak um, entirely on behalf of myself and I do not speak on behalf of the organization. I have not run my, my remarks beyond the organization. So I uh, have to do all the disclaimers anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, Citizen Action actually is is. It's it's an organization that may you know has been around New York State for a while. I believe there's a Pennsylvania Citizen Action, um, but I'm not sure. I need to confirm that. Um, but we also do have done work in the past regarding issues about democracy, um, not quite in terms of solely registering people to vote, but other things such as campaign finance reform. I first started working for Citizen Action in 2013 on the fair election campaign, which was to create a public matching program. Uh, for small donors who want to make contributions to state level elections. Um, and for me personally, I really value that work um, because it was a way for me to engage the problem of money in politics, how money is corrosive to having representative democracy, how having a small donor matching system can, in fact, increase participation by ordinary people in the campaign finance system, which otherwise is dominated by big money interests such as Wall Street, Manhattan, real estate, upstate, big business, you name it. Um, and so, and so for Citizen Action, that work is very important. And, and I should also say here, finally, uh, the uh, public matching fund actually was enacted into law and also was finally funded by the state legislature in this past legislative session. So I personally am really looking forward to making a contribution to my state assembly member um, and having it be matched at an eight to one um, multiplier. It, it just, it's important for me to know that my own work and Citizen's Action, Citizen Action's work has successfully contributed to that democratization of our campaign finance system. And so those are the kinds of things that we do as an organization. And, and we think it's an important legacy to try to leave for future voters as well. I mean, talking about legacy, do you talk about that in your classes? Uh, do you see uh, you know, how a vote is a way to shape the future and sort of, like you said, leave a legacy for the next generation? Yes, I, I increasingly do. Um, I, I think I've, I've started my classes now deliberately trying to shock them by saying, hey, everyone, look around. Things are bad. Um, you should do something about it. Um, and so voting certainly is, is the, the primary thing that I try to expose them to. Um, one of our, everyone here might know the New York State Public Interest Research Group, which has um, campus coordinators across the SUNY CUNY system. Uh, ours in New Paltz, his name is Eric Wood. He's a great guy. 
he comes and literally passes out voter registration uh, forms to students. So he's actively registering them. Uh, and it's important to do that, particularly in the beginning of the fall semester in, I guess, one month from now, not even. Um, so that's something that that we definitely do as a way to encourage them to not only be registered, but to vote and to think about the issues and problems in the world that are going to affect them more than anyone else effectively, simply because they're going to be on earth for 60 more years um, and I will only be here for 40 if I'm lucky. And so they need to be out there taking action and voting. But it's not just that. We should we should recognize here that voting is just a tally of the kind of the political forces, let's say, on either side of the aisle. The other things that we need to encourage young people to do, especially, are to just be involved politically, to join an organization, to find issues that you care about. Um, it's not just enough to vote. In fact, there are a whole other set of social movement activities that need to happen um, because the vote can always be threatened. In fact, we know that there are certain former politicians in Washington, D.C. who effectively attempted a coup d'etat and tried to annul basically 80 million votes. Um, and so as important vote, voting is, and I stress that again to my students, I also want them to think more broadly about um, social movements to form and the political forces that need to be in place to protect our democratic system of government and not let it be um, effectively swept aside by corrupt actors who are only interested in increasing their own power. Mm, yeah. I want to go back to the League of Women Voters for Pike County. Liz, I want to talk to you. Oh, the same question I have for Erica. You know, you, you, the Pike County also holds information centers and workshops for, you know, informing voters. Uh, if you want to just talk about some of the ones that Pike County has been working on. Well, we we always do a local voter guide as well and run that from our website and during the even year elections, which are our state and national elections, we also use vote411.org. Um, and they they tend to work very well. This year, we thought we were going to have a little bit more excitement at the county commissioner level. And it turns out that we're just going to have three incumbents running. And so I we are going to have either a candidate meet and greet combination forum on the 26th of September, but, or we, you know, depending on how many people will, will participate, we have had just an incredibly hard time uh, getting candidates to participate, either to supply their uh, information uh, come out to a forum. Um, the county candidates have actually been very good about this over the, over the time, but that's where it begins to get hard. If we can't get the information to impart it to the voters, then it's kind of left up to the parties and the candidates themselves to get out the information. Uh, we also have a problem in Pike County when we we would have liked to have done something a couple of years ago on Zoom. Again, we couldn't get people to participate. And you can see here, although we we have we've had as many as 15 participants, I think, on this call. That's a far cry from 38,000 voters being able to come on or a couple of hundred. Uh, to spread the word. So it does get very hard to to get the word out, uh, encourage people to come. There is also, we do have a couple of issues in Pike County that are being talked up this year. For example, 
man, we have the warehouses coming to Pike County. And that is not, I think, one of those things that most people want to happen, particularly with parking one right on one of the highest level water aquifers in the country. Um, and also, we don't have a hospital in Pike County. So that's been an issue. Is it being talked about anywhere but in the, the you know, the small groups that we can get together in one place? Not really. It's, it's just really not. And we have a very large footprint to cover the League of Women Voters Pike County. It's a very large geographical county for Pennsylvania. So when we have a forum or a candidate meet and greet, most of the places that we can have that and get people to come, people aren't going to drive 40 miles, which they can do in Pike County, to come to one of those. And I think people, but I think people really prefer that to be able to come and shake a hand and say something in person to somebody as opposed to a webinar or other kind of Zoom meeting. So we have our issues. We do have several groups, though. We do have Delaware Valley Action Network, which is a subset of Indivisible. And so, you know, they're helpful. Um, we are also next door to Monroe County, which Monroe County's League of Women Voters is one of the older ones. And um, they've done good work. The Monroe County um, NAACP has been very active in the lower area or the southern area of, of Pike as well as Monroe County. So there are other groups that are working on this that we may not necessarily know about or be able to speak to as far as um, uh, their actual activities, but you can almost find all of them on social media. And so I would I would suggest to people that anyone wanting to get together or to see what other groups are doing, the place to start is just to search Facebook and go. But let me ask you about that, Lizzie. You know, you mentioned about some of the politicians, I guess, uh, are, are not willing to participate. Or do you think it's because of the way things are going now with social media that they no longer have to do sort of these forums with other people or no longer have to go to the newspapers or, or online because now they have social media and they can reach their voters directly and, and sort of really, uh, you know, uh, curate the message. I wish I could say that that was the case, but this was going on long before that. Long before that, okay. Um, and the what it really kind of comes down to for, well, I'm going to take the school board, for example. The school board elections in Pike County, we have we have three school districts. We share two with other counties, but Delaware Valley is the only one that's contained in Pike. And, you know, bless their hearts, they don't get paid. Um, you know, they run in primaries, although they can do what we call cross files. So if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you can file in both primaries. We don't have crossover voting in Pennsylvania. So because of that, nine times out of 10, the school board elections are decided by the May primary. It's all done. If you're on the Republican side, chances are very good you're on the Democratic side as well. Um, so 
the last couple of odd year races, it wasn't a done deal completely by the time November rolled around. Maybe Dale was one odd person out. And the others just decided they'd done enough. They believed that they were going to get their people in. And so they just didn't see any point in making a mistake or making a gaffe or something that could get around, you know, on social media. So that's one of the reasons why it stops where it is. Right. Uh, Democrats are have their hands tied. Really, they just don't run candidates in these local elections. And that's a problem. I mean, and, and you, you particularly since the nastiness of the national elections have moved in because you have to ask yourself, why would you want to run in a race where you know you're going to get, you know, clocked and, you know, have, you know, be bad mouthed by your neighbors for six months. And so this year, there was very little for a Democrat voting in the primary in May to vote for. Very little. Um, and it's not going to be a whole lot better come the general election. So that is a problem we have, and I think it speaks really to the size of our county. That's not a problem in Monroe County south of us. That's not a problem to to the northwest of us in Lackawanna County or over in Scranton or Le the Lehigh Valley. For us, it's a problem. Uh, Stephen, if you want to have something to add? I do have a question. It's a bit off topic, though. That's what I'm worried about. It's more about how Liz understands the Democrats in Pike County. Is that appropriate, or I don't know? Well, uh, I would have to be answering on behalf of myself and not the league on this, but I am a state committee member to the Pennsylvania Democratic Party, so I think I can speak to it. So. Well, that's that would be perfect then. I guess what I'm wondering is, and you know, this is my own ignorance because I only know New York. I really don't know Pennsylvania at all. Pennsylvania doesn't know Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the problems you mentioned with getting Democrats to run locally in Pike County, is that more of a of like a Pike County thing? Or is that part of like, let's say, having an undermobilized state Democratic Party? I know in New York State, our state Democratic Party is a complete and utter disaster. And that has problems that filters down effectively to county committees, town committees, and it makes finding people to run on county committee seats or for local elections, somewhat difficult just because the parties are so atrophied and weak. Do you see the Democrats in Pennsylvania having that same problem? And is that perhaps what generates this issue of trying to find people to run locally? Maybe it's something different, I was wondering. Well, the Democratic Party in Pennsylvania has its issues. Um, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It has its issues. And that does trickle down. But in Pike County, I think it's something really much more basic. Um, when you run for township uh, supervisor. You only get paid $50 per meeting that you attend, and it's capped at $2,600. So unless you're retired, um, uh, you're working at a job inside the county where you're not doing one of our famous two-and-a-half-hour commutes. And by the way, I did the New York two-step down to the Lincoln Tunnel for two-and-a-half years. Uh, you can lose your humanity really fast. Um you have the issue of people, you know, 
when they're getting home from work at night, it's, you know, get the kids from wherever the kids are, feed them, you know, bathe them, get them in bed, get yourself fed, get into bed and get up and do the whole thing again at six o'clock the next day. So that even on weekends, they have much more to do. Um, at the county level, those are the only jobs in the county, government-wise, that actually pay a living wage. So I think some of it has to do with just an antiquated, and I do mean antiquated, way of governing at the local level. Um, it can be cured to a certain extent with home rule, which I know um, New York has to a great extent. And we have it to some extent here, but it's usually the bigger municipalities, the larger um, uh, counties. Uh, I, I, just, I just think for Pike County, it's geographical for us. It's economical for us, and it's just, it's just the way things are. I hope that answered your question. Uh, Erica, I want to see if you want to take this question from uh, Kenneth Wappler. Um, it, he asked in the, in the chat that it feels like we're being encouraged to think locally, roads, schools, etc. Yet we also see that what brings folks to the polls are the big national issues like abortion and book banning. I think he says, I think this leaves us torn and unclear. There is a direct line between bullying on the local level and the National Republican Party. Your thoughts on tying the national to the local? It's not a really good question. It's really interesting. Um, and the first thing that came to mind for me and an, an example of this that happened recently is that one of the ways that we we do kind of see these two things tied together is in um, uh, like ballot initiatives uh, and local elections. So, for example, in 2020, um, with the surge of protests against police violence, um, one of the things we saw in Albany County specifically is a um, an initiative on the ballot that would create a police community review board so that it really, really directly affects the ways in which the um, Albany County community interacts with police in our area um, and kind of like what that, that conversation looks like. So that's, I think, a direct example of how something on the national scale was able to filter its its way down and really be effective locally. And I think that does happen um, with a lot of issues, but it might not might not be as clear of a, of a line as that. Um, but another example is um, in 2024 on the ballot, um, New Yorkers will be able to vote on the um, New York Equal Rights Amendment, which is something that would... Um, include, you know, put a number of protected classes in New York State's constitution that that aren't currently included. Um, um, and that would also include pregnant people. So um, that would tie kind of to the abortion issue. Um, so there are ways in which some of these national issues filter down to to these local elections. Um, and it's another kind of example why it's so important to, to continue to get out and, um, and vote in these local elections. But I mean, I think the question you've asked uh, is, there's a lot to, to dig up and uncover there. And I know I've just really kind of scratched the surface. But and I, I just want to go back a little bit. I know it was something with Liz was talking about how, you know, like uh, less people are uh, less people are running for office. And I, I'm wondering, is, is that because of what ha was happening nationally with the discourse of nationally politics? Uh, maybe people are more afraid to enter into the world of politics. And um, also, I, 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 what I hear from uh, people that it's sometimes discouraging because a lot of here locally, personally, I've noticed that a lot of the candidates, a lot of the races are, are running unopposed. Um, and I think that's only has increased in the past, I think, couple of months and even years. Um, even like say when I moved up here uh, eight years ago to, from New York City to the Sullivan Catskills, there was always an opponent uh, for each 
candidate. And now it just seems a lot of people are running unopposed. And it seems to me less people are wanting to come into politics because of what's happening nationally, the discourse nationally. Like I said, you know, this, these are friends or neighbors and they, they don't want to get bashed by someone. They're going to, you know, walk into the grocery store next week. And do you, do you feel that, that that's, that's happening, Liz, or this is just me, what I notice uh, in my reporting and, and, and experiencing the elections here locally? Having had quite a lot of experience at the local level here, both running and um, directing people's campaigns and one of the reasons that I escaped to the League of Women Voters was, man, I really wanted to go somewhere where, you know, you could, people's voices were heard and you can disagree in civility. Uh, when we take positions, it's only done after extensive discussion and coming to a consensus. I'm beginning to wonder if anybody even knows what that word means anymore. And I know that when I first was interested or or helping with local politics, Republicans and Democrats in Pike County really didn't care whether you were a Republican or a Democrat. It was what you were going to do for the community. It was what you were going to do. Uh, you know, it might, may have been, you know, whose cousin you were going to hire, because that's the other thing. When you don't have many jobs um, in Pike County, which in the early days, I mean, I think Walmart is still the, no, Delaware Valley School System is the largest employer. In fact, the, the interesting part about the whole small government thing that you hear at all levels, you know, is that government entities in Pike County are the largest employers. So, you know, there's there's just a lot of there was a a real transition from what's good for the most people and best for the community to you know, you're an idiot because you believe this way. And um we I I think it, it really got way worse in 2020. Um it, it it there was just an incivility about it that put people off to wanting to even come out to an event and and that's hard but it's also and I don't know who was saying this Jeff maybe there is a move nationally to turn people off to the system it's just there it it starts at the top and goes straight down to voting for dog catcher. People don't necessarily want to go to the polls, which is why, by the way, mail-in ballots, no excuse mail-in ballots in Pennsylvania has made a tremendous difference in the turnout to vote. And I've told people many times, I'll never go back to the voting place as long as I can cast my ballot from my kitchen. And that's that's something that now that we've got people feeling fairly safe and feeling that they can cast a ballot, maybe, just maybe, we can get back to the bread and butter kitchen table issues that always got them to the polls previously because now they can vote and not have to wade through a whole bunch of people that are trying to change their minds before they walk in the door. And I just just to to verify, yes, we have a ten foot rule 
in Pennsylvania, not the 100 rule in, as, as in New York. It's a shock to New York and New Jersey move-in residents when they go to the polls for the first time. They can't believe it. Neither can I, to be honest, but there it is. Wow. Erica, can you speak on that also? The I guess the lack of participation for running for a uh, local office? I've covered it really well. I think, um, you know, here in New York, if we're not, in certain cases, you know, it might not be that we're not seeing people interested in getting involved or running for office, but that we are seeing people less interested in participating in that public debate and that that public forum. Um, and I don't know if that's because we're becoming more kind of siloed on, on different issues and people are getting their news from particular places. But um, that's something that our, our local leagues across New York have, um, have, have really struggled with getting, um, you know, getting all the candidates to, to show up to debates and to have that conversation that's so important to hear, you know, your candidates answering the the same questions at the same, at the same time, you know, in publicized for, for all voters is I think crucial um, for people who are are trying to to make a decision. So um, I think that's probably something that I've I've noticed more here. Um, Liz, I am really interested. New York State recently passed uh, no excuse mail in voting last session. Um, the governor has has not signed it, but. Um, it, that's interesting to to hear your feedback on it um, and what it might mean for turnout in, in New York State. Just one thing to add about local elections. I don't think the school boards here. So I grew up on the island, unfortunately. Um, and I say unfortunate just because I, I've learned to say that living in upstate New York. Um, and on the island, you find there's plenty of people running for school board. They all happen to be affiliated with a group called Monster Liberty. Which- oh, my God is that all of these K through 12 teachers are trying to convert their students and make them gay or trans by having, you know, drag story hour or something. Um, they're running and, and they haven't been incredibly successful at winning. But I think that's really because in response to them running for all these school board elections on Long Island, you've had the unions, NYSA and New York State Teachers, uh, Teachers Union. And again, full disclosure, I remember, um, they have run candidates instead of response. And so there, there are, as as the partisanship kind of kicks up here, it's plausible that it filters out to the local level if you have, like, let's say, a strong Republican Party. Um, and the next thing you might know, you could have a bunch of, depending on your political views, potentially unsavory people running for school board whose perspectives on equality and inclusion aren't great. And and then I think this becomes much more, much less of a problem of apathy and more like, who the hell are we going to get to run so that they don't take over our town library? Like that's a real problem that people face in Smithtown, uh, Brookhaven, towns like that on Long Island. That's a real thing. And and once that hits, then you got someone has to run someone so that you have a competitive election. Otherwise, uh, bad things can happen. And that's really important to think about too. Apathy is one problem, but the flip side is also a problem. Yeah, absolutely. We're wrapping up here. I just want to go around the room to see if anyone has any last thoughts. Uh, I'll go and I'll be very quick. Sure. I know of two local elections in Pike that have been uh, decided by the flip of a coin because the number of votes came in dead heat. So if somebody didn't go to the polls that day, they were probably kicking themselves. But hey, now you've got other ways to vote besides getting to the polls. There's really no excuse not to. Absolutely. Erica, 
from the League of Women Voters of New York. Right. Yeah, I'll echo, uh, echo what Liz said. Um, early voting here in New York State. I see Barb's comment in the, the chat there, but there's a lot of ways that, that you can make it work to get to the polls. So just figure out what works best for you and uh, make sure your voice is heard because you really can be that that deciding factor. Stephen? Uh, I agree with what everyone else has said. Please get out there and vote, especially in local elections. I'll just add, um, voting is necessary, but it's not sufficient. Um, it's not enough to go to the polling booth once a year. We, each of us needs to join communities and organizations that express the values that we believe in and the society in which we want to live. We have to be engaged at that level, too. Um, it's not just voting. We need to do that. Other stuff. Does your activism or even like your role with Citizen Action of New York play into your teaching in school? Let me be careful here. No, it does not. Um, it certainly, however, is influential for me outside of the classroom when I speak to my students when I'm not like when I'm not teaching them in that moment. But certainly if I'm talking with them outside of a class, you know, they might tell me about, hey, I'm really concerned about student tuition going up. Well, there is a set of tax bills that, you know, different organizations support, which should raise revenue, which could then go into the public university system. Um, you know, I try to engage them in that way um, and not be too heavy handed. Uh, Tom Rue from the NAACP, uh, I want to get to your thoughts on this subject matter. Well, it's been very interesting to listen to all the participants. I want to thank uh, WJFF and you, Patricio, for uh, your participation in this. When we first started talking about um, what evolved into this panel, a question was asked uh, in the committee meeting with, with Sean and Kathy and myself about why people don't vote. And we haven't talked a lot about that today, uh, or haven't heard much about that. Uh, there are certain, you know, accessibility is an issue. It's an issue for all of us and for many others. Um, there was a term used at um, at the beginning. I, I think I think it was Stephen who said used the phrase a diverse voting base. Um, and uh, forgive me for uh, picking up on that phrase, but uh, the. I get that got me thinking about uh, the diversity that existed in the early days of this country. It was not diverse. That that is the uh, the country that was conceived by our constitution. Uh, it has changed a lot. It has evolved a lot. It's still evolving. Uh, but there are many people who are still disenfranchised, and if they're not disenfranchised by law, they're disenfranchised by their situations. For example, the disabled people. People who are in recovery, people who are actively using or drinking, where you know their lives are manageable, but they still have opinions and they and they still have needs. And if they understood, if they could tune in and listen, which is difficult, uh, they very well might vote. Uh, more of them than do seriously mentally ill people. Um, and you know we reach out to women, we reach out to people of color, LGBTQ. But I, all of these groups, and, and the uh, the intersections between them, there's a lot of overlap. But um, I think a lot more could be done in the community, in our communities, um, to reach out to the people at the bottom of the economic uh, strata. You've been listening to Radio Casco Special Community. Forum on Voting. This is a partnership between Sullivan County Chapter of the NAACP and Radio Casco. Thank you to all my guests 
this evening, Sullivan County NAAC Representative Sean Walcardi, Thomas Rue, League of Women Voters in Pike County, Elizabeth Forrest, League of Women Voters in New York, Erica Smitka, and Suyu Paulson's Associate Professor of Political Science, Stephen Papinelli. Thank you everyone for joining us. I'm Patricio Urbayo for Radio Catskill. Thank you.